to Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator. My name is Amanda Nazario. And before we begin our discussion of Marge versus the monorail, uh, I just want to mention that the quality of this particular recording is substandard. So um, please, 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 it's worth it to listen to anyway. But I warn you that my voice will kind of sound like I'm broadcasting out of a tin can underwater. But them's the breaks. Okay. Did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. Simpsons time. You, dear listener, may or may not be among the millions of people around the world who are mourning Leonard Nimoy this week. Even if you're not, I hope that you can recognize his contribution to pop culture and the contribution of Star Trek to pop culture. It's almost as if there wouldn't be fandom without Star Trek. Like it, its fans showed the rest of the fandoms of other things how to do it. Um, Simpsons fans included. And so it's very appropriate that he was a guest on The Simpsons. It is very appropriate that he turned out to be one of the most game good sports that The Simpsons ever had as a guest. And that he remains a lot of people's favorite who worked on The Simpsons during the 90s. Nimoy starred in two Simpsons episodes, both of them classics. The second one was The Springfield Files, where he did the introduction behind a desk, etc., that uh, was then picked up by the squeaky voice teen who said, keep watching the skis. You remember that. However, I'm going to talk about Marge versus the monorail. As you do, as you must. This was a watershed episode. Uh, it lifted the series into the world of madcap absurdity. That is the style of Simpsons that 
put it on the map in a new way. It was already well-respected as a pop culture phenomenon, as this very popular thing that, surprise, surprise, also ended up being very good and a well-written sitcom. And, you know, very beautifully balanced zaniness with heartfeltness. This was the first episode that tipped the scales a little bit more towards the zany. And this was the work, not just of Conan O'Brien, but in large part of Conan O'Brien, who was the first new writer on The Simpsons uh, after the original team of eight was broken up. And it is indeed a crazy, ridiculous situation. It very easily could have been not so crazy, you know? It could have been more of a, I want to say, you know, parks and recreation style comedy of frustration about building a new utility for the town. But instead, it was nuts. Things happened that make no sense from a scientific or engineering standpoint. Uh, I refer to the anchor embedded in the donut, for one, uh, and the... <laughs> The solar eclipse that stops the monorail momentarily. But this hinders our enjoyment of the episode not at all. Um, it was even parodied in another Simpsons just the next season. This one comes in season four. Uh, as soon as season five, we see Springfield or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Legalized Gambling. Um, echo the structure of Marge versus the Monorail quite closely, especially when um, there's a meeting, people look to Marge to disagree, as she did with the Monorail. She was the one holdout of the town who didn't want the monorail to be constructed. Um, but in the gambling episode, of course, she says she doesn't mind it, but nobody remembers that. People think that she was the naysayer, and that's because of the monorail episode. Um, And Homer becomes a blackjack dealer, and he says that it has been his lifelong dream to be a blackjack dealer. And that uh, sequence where he says it's his lifelong dream, and Marge says, no, your lifelong dream was to do this and this. And then there's like a cutaway to it. That's basically copied exactly in the monorail. His lifelong dream is to be a monorail conductor. And Marge says, no, it's not. Your lifelong dream was to be, it was to run out on the field during a baseball game. And then they cut to the picture of him doing that. 
and then in the future. Come on, Marge. It's my, been my lifelong dream to be a blackjack dealer. Your lifelong dream was to be on the gong show when you were on it. Anyway. Uh, all this by way of saying the monorail episode was famous enough already by not even a year later that they were parodying it. Uh, in its own show. Phil Hartman is in this, of course, as Lyle Lanley, the music man type character that grifts the town out of $3 million. You may or may not remember that they get the $3 million from Mr. Burns at his very anticlimactic trial. Uh, he is busted for disposing of toxic waste in a tree. And there's that great mutant squirrel that we see. Um, and then they wheel him up to the judge, Hannibal Lecter style. He gets fined $3 million and he goes, Smithers, my wallet's in my front pocket. Can you get it? Uh, so that's why they have the money that Lyle Lanley steals from them easily. Uh, in discussion of Main Street, there are a few funny sight gags. My favorite is Homer driving over Main Street with his snow tires and also with a piano strapped to the car roof, like sideways. <laughs> so, I don't know. It doesn't make it heavier, but it does make it funnier that the piano is sideways. And, you know, of course, there's the song. This is the first instance of a song like this that's, the, you know, uh, Music Man Broadway style in The Simpsons and that the entire town sings together. And it's very good and very memorable. After the act break, the beginning of Act 2 is The Simpsons all driving home and... <laughs> Everyone except Marge is going, monorail, monorail, monorail. Or maybe it's just a Bart and Homer who are going, monorail, monorail. <laughs> Rhythmically, as if they're still singing the song. So... The episode is already over the top. Like, everything about it is over the top. And they just sort of add cherry after cherry to this great Sunday of absurdity that they have. Um, at the very end, you see the popsicle stick tower and, you know, uh, the other stuff that Springfield has done foolishly that there's evidence of in the town. We have, in the very beginning... 
Homer doing the Flintstones theme, which is just so great. Saying yabba dabba do as he's getting out of work and then singing the Simpson. Homer Simpson. I'm not going to sing the whole song, but um, that's all framing all the monorail business. There is the possum that Marge notices right, you know, on the eve of the monorail launch that makes her very concerned. The possum family that is living inside uh, one of the control hatches in Homer's station. There is Marge's road trip to North Haverbrook that is very surreal and cool looking. She's doing this at dawn, so the lighting of the town, this, you know, sort of boarded up ghost town, is very dramatic and weird. You know, there's different colors than would be seen in Springfield. Uh, there is, during the whole crisis, when this sort of uh, Klaus von Bülow guy from North Haverbrook is trying to assist Marge in saving everyone's lives. He says to use an anchor, and Homer hallucinates Bart as an anchor. I don't think something like that has been done before. It's just surrealist gag after surrealist gag. Conan O'Brien, Styley. Um, yeah, I could name many more. The giant ants that uh, Bart fantasizes about creating with the $3 million from Burns um, is strikes me as a very, very Conan O'Brien thing. On, on uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, there were a lot of ant jokes. <laughs> And so Leonard Nimoy fits right into this episode. He's really, like, seamlessly integrated. It surprised me to learn when I was researching this that they first wanted George Takei to play himself, uh, to be the master of ceremonies for the monorail launch. Um, but last minute, Takei backed out, uh, which was because he was on the board of several public transportation uh, utilities in different cities, and he didn't want to get in trouble. George Takei, of course, does the show from time to time. He plays Akira. But this time they wanted him to play himself. Leonard Nimoy, I'm so glad that they got him instead, because there's just something about it being Spock that just pushes the envelope that much more. Apparently the line, the cosmic ballet goes on when the solar eclipse happens, was not in the script that Nimoy first saw. They sort of sprung it on him after he had already signed on to do the project. And he did it beautifully. And every one of his jokes is just completely executed perfectly. Do you even know who I am? Um, and 
when <laughs> when Krusty tries to like jump off the monorail and Nimoy grabs him by the collar and saves his life, saying, No, the world needs laughter. Amazing. And yeah, I mean, just such a good sport about being made fun of, you know, the guy wanting to switch seats and him saying boring things about Star Trek that people don't want to hear anymore. Wonderful. Awesome. Uh, and as Simpsons time draws to a close for this Wednesday, I will leave you with the sentiment. Donuts. Is there anything they can't do? I left a good job in the city Working for the man every night and day this is Leonard Nimoy singing Proud Mary. And this has been Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator for this week. I'm Amanda Nazario. I thank you for listening to this little time capsule of the week after Leonard Nimoy's passing. Poor audio quality and all. I appreciate you hanging in there. The next episode will sound much better, I promise. If you'd like to hear more and more and more Simpsons time, you can look at my playlists for Nazario Scenario, my other radio show, which these are taken from. Nazario Scenario can be accessed by going here, wfmu.org slash playlists slash an. Live long and prosper, or prosper, or prosper. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.